Chapter One of Book Thirteen of Les Miserables, Volume Four by Victor Hugo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Patricia Hayes, Les Miserables, Volume Four by Victor Hugo, translated by Isabel Florence Hapgood, Book Thirteen. Marius enters the shadow, Chapter One, from the Rue Plumet to the Quartier Saint Denis. The voice which had summoned Marius to the twilight of the barricade of the Rue de la Chanvrerie had produced on him the effect of the voice of destiny. He wished to die. The opportunity presented itself. He knocked at the door of the tomb. A hand in the darkness offered him the key. These melancholy openings, which take place in the gloom before despair, are tempting. Marius thrust aside the bar which had so often allowed him to pass, emerged from the garden, and said, "I will go." Mad with grief, no longer conscious of anything fixed or solid in his brain, incapable of accepting anything thenceforth of the fate after those two months passed in the intoxication of youth and love. Overwhelmed at once by all the reveries of despair, he had but one desire remaining—to make a speedy end of all. He set out at rapid pace. He found himself most opportunely armed, as he had Javert's pistols with him. The young man of whom he thought he had caught a glimpse had vanished from his sight in the street. Marius, who had emerged from the Rue Plumet by the Boulevard. Traversed the Esplanade and the Bridge of the Invalides, the Champs Elysees, the Place Louis XV, and reached the Rue de Rivoli. The shops were open there. The gas was burning under the arcades. Women were making their purchases in the stalls. People were eating ices in the Café Latte and nibbling small cakes at the English pastry cook's shop. Only a few posting chaises were setting out at a gallop from the Hôtel des Princes. And the Hotel Maurice. Marius entered the Rue Saint Honoré through the Passage de Lorme. There the shops were closed. The merchants were chatting in front of their half-open doors. People were walking about. The street lanterns were lighted. Beginning with the first floor, all the windows were lighted as usual. There was cavalry on the Place du Palais Royal. Marius followed the Rue Saint Honoré. In proportion as he left the Palais Royal behind him, there were fewer lighted windows. The shops were fast shut. No one was chatting on the thresholds. The street grew sombre, and at the same time, the crowd increased in density. For the passers-by now amounted to a crowd. No one could be seen to speak in this throng, and yet there arose from it a dull, deep murmur. Near the fountain of the Abra Sac. There were assemblages, motionless and gloomy groups, which were to those who went and came as stones in the midst of running water. At the entrance of the Rue des Prouvaires, the crowd no longer walked; it formed a resisting, massive, solid, compact, almost impenetrable block of people who were huddled together and conversing in low tones. There were hardly any black coats or round hats now, but smock frocks. Blouses, caps, and bristling and cadaverous heads. 
This multitude undulated confusedly in the nocturnal gloom. Its whisperings had the hoarse accent of a vibration. Although not one of them was walking, a dull trampling was audible in the mire. Beyond this dense portion of the throng, in the Rue de Roule, and the Rue de Provere, and the extension of the Rue Saint-Honoré, there were no longer a single window in which a candle was burning. Only the solitary and diminishing rows of lanterns could be seen vanishing into the street in the distance. The lanterns of that date resembled large red stars hanging to ropes and shed upon the pavement a shadow which had the form of a huge spider. These streets were not deserted. There could be descried piles of guns, moving bayonets, and troops bivouacking. No curious observer passed that limit. Their circulation ceased. There the rabble ended, and the army began. Marius willed with the will of a man who hopes no more. He had been summoned. He must go. He found a means to traverse the throng and pass the bivouac of the troops. He shunned the patrols. He avoided the sentinels. He made a circuit, reached the Rue de Bethesy, and directed his course toward the Halle. At the corner of the Rue des Bourdonnais there were no longer any lanterns. After having passed the zone of the crowd, he had passed the limits of the troops. He found himself in something startling. There was no longer a passer-by, no longer a soldier, no longer a light. There was no one. Solitude, silence, night. I know not chill which seized upon one. Entering a street was like entering a cellar. He continued to advance. He took a few steps. Someone passed close to him at a run. Was it a man or a woman? Were there many of them? He could not have told. It had passed and vanished. Proceeding from circuit to circuit, he reached a lane which he judged to be the Rue de la Poterie. Near the middle of this street he came in contact with an obstacle. He extended his hands. It was an overturned wagon. His foot recognized pools of water, gullies and paving-stones scattered and piled up. A barricade had been begun there and had abandoned. He climbed over the stones and found himself on the other side of the barrier. He walked very near the street-posts and guided himself along the walls of the houses. A little beyond the barricade it seemed to him that he could make out something white in front of him. He approached. It took on a form. It was two white horses, the horses of the omnibus, harnessed by Bossuet in the morning, who had been straying at random all day from the street to street, and had finally halted there, with the weary patience of brutes who no more understand the actions of men than man understands the actions of providence. Marius left the horses behind him. As he was approaching a street, which seemed to him to be the Rue du Contre-Social, a shot, coming no one knows whence, and traversing the darkness at random, whistled close by him, and the bullet pierced a brass shaving-dish suspended above his head over a hairdresser's shop. This pierced shaving-dish was still to be seen in 1848 in the Rue du Contre-Social, at the corner of the pillars of the market. This shot still betokened life. From that instant forth, he encountered nothing more. The whole of this itinerary 
resembled a descent of black steps. Nevertheless, Marius pressed forward. End of chapter 1 Chapter 2 An Owl's View of Paris a being who could have hovered over Paris that night with the wing of the bat or of the owl would have had beneath his eyes a gloomy spectacle. All that old quarter of the Halle, which is like a city within a city, through which run the Rue Saint-Donnet and Saint-Martin, where a thousand lanes cross, and of which the insurgents had made their redoubt and their stronghold, would have appeared to him like a dark and enormous cavity hollowed out in the centre of Paris. There the glance fell into an abyss. Thanks to the broken lanterns, thanks to the closed windows, there all radiance, all life, all sound, all movement ceased. The invisible police of the insurrection were on the watch everywhere, and maintained order, that is to say, night. The necessary tactics of insurrection are to drown small numbers in a vast obscurity, to multiply every combatant by the possibilities which that obscurity contains. At dusk, every window where a candle was burning received a shot. The light was extinguished. Sometimes the inhabitant was killed. Hence, nothing was stirring. There was nothing but fright, mourning, stupor in the houses and in the streets, a sort of sacred horror. Not even the long rows of windows and stores, the indentations of the chimneys and the roofs, and the vague reflections which are cast back by the wet and muddy pavements, were visible. An eye cast upward at that mass of shadows might, perhaps, have caught a glimpse here and there, at intervals, of indistinct gleams which brought out broken and eccentric lines and profiles of singular buildings, something like the lights which go and come in ruins. It was at such points that the barricades were situated. The rest was a lake of obscurity, foggy, heavy, and funereal, above which, in motionless and melancholy outlines, rose the tower of Saint-Jacques, and the church of Saint-Marie, and two or three more of those grand edifices of which man makes giants, and the night makes phantoms. All around this deserted and disquieting labyrinth, in the quarters where the Parisian circulation had not been annihilated, and where a few street-lanterns still burned, the aerial observer might have distinguished the metallic gleam of swords and bayonets, the dull rumble of artillery, and the swarming of silent battalions whose ranks were swelling from minute to minute, a formidable girdle which was slowly drawing in and around the insurrection. The invested quarter was no longer anything more than a monstrous cavern. Everything there appeared to be asleep or motionless, and as we have just seen, any street which one might come to offered nothing but darkness." a wild darkness, full of traps, full of unseen and formidable shocks, into which it was alarming to penetrate, and in which it was terrible to remain, where those who entered shivered before, before those they awaited, where those who waited shuddered before those who were coming, invisible combatants were entrenched at every corner of the street, snares of the sepulchre were concealed in the density of night, all was over, no more light was to be hoped for, 
henceforth except the lightning of guns no further encounter except the abrupt and rapid apparition of death where how when no one knew but it was certain and inevitable in this place which had been marked out for the struggle the government and the insurrection the national guard and popular societies the bourgeois and the uprising groping their way were about to come into contact the necessity was the same for both the only possible issue thenceforth was to emerge thence killed or conquerors a situation so extreme an obscurity so powerful that the most timid felt themselves seized with resolution and the most daring with terror moreover on both sides the fury the rage and the determination were equal for the one party to advance meant death and no one dreamed of retreating for the other to remain meant death and no one dreamed of flight it was indispensable that all should be ended on the following day that triumph should rest either here or there that the insurrection should prove itself a revolution or a skirmish the government understood this as well as the parties the most insignificant bourgeois felt it hence a thought of anguish which mingled with the impenetrable gloom of this quarter where all was at the point of being decided hence a redoubled anxiety around the silence whence a catastrophe was on the point of emerging here only one sound was audible a sound as heart-rending as the death-rattle as menacing as a malediction the tocsin of saint Mary. nothing could be more blood-curdling than the clamour of the wild and desperate bell wailing amid the shadows as it often happens nature seemed to have fallen into accord with what men were about to do nothing disturbed the harmony of the whole effect the stars had disappeared heavy clouds filled the horizon with their melancholy folds a black sky rested on these dead streets as though an immense winding-sheet were being outspread over this immense tomb while a battle that was still wholly political was in preparation in the same locality which had already witnessed so many revolutionary events while youth the secret associations the schools in the name of principles and the middle classes in the name of interest were approaching preparatory to dashing themselves together clasping and throwing each other while each one hastened and invited the last and decisive hour of the crisis far away and quite outside of this fatal quarter in the most profound depths of the unfathomable cavities of that wretched old paris which disappears under the splendour of happy and opulent paris the sombre voice of the people could be heard giving utterance to a dull roar a fearful and sacred voice which is composed of the roar of the brute and of the word of god which terrifies the weak and warns the wise which comes both from below like the voice of the lion and from on high like the voice of the thunder end of book 13 chapters 1 and 2